In Analects 2.17, Confucius says, Zulu, I will tell you what wisdom means. To know what you know, and to know what you do not know, this is wisdom. There's a larger version of this event found in the Sunja, and if you use the translation in the lecture series, the one by Eric Hutton, the story goes something like this. Uh, a person who is somebody who makes a display of wisdom and lures around his ability is simply a petty man. If a judge knows something, he says he knows it, and if he does not know something, he recognizes and says that he does not know it. This is a key point in speaking. When he is capable of something, he says that he is capable. And when he is not capable of something, he says that he is not capable. This is flawless behavior. When one has grasped the key point in speaking, then one is wise. And, one and when one person has perfect behavior, then he is Ren. When one is both wise and Ren, what shortcomings could he have? And this would be chapter 29 uh, of that book. And you find this starting around line 109. So what's going on here? What's the idea overall? We have a similar kind of story with Socrates. The story goes that the oracle uh, of Delphi tells Socrates that he is the wisest man in Athens. And then Socrates comments that he is because he knows what he uh, he he knows that he does not know anything, and it's a kind of a similar um, idea, not quite the same. In Socrates' instance, that story reflects how Socrates questions everything, so he does not take something for granted, and most people do that. If they are told the same story since kindergarten and then they become adults, they hold on to that same story or those values or that ideas or that history. So if you are an American, then you think that the founding fathers are the wisest people to have ever lived on earth. If you are uh, of a different country, there are, of course, some things that you are taught from the very beginning. A lot of the values that you're raised with, you hold on to for the rest of your life. So everybody frames things in terms of, say, uh, individualism or equality or freedom, if that's how they were raised. Now, Socrates is different because he questions everything. And what something people don't understand is how much of a contrarian Socrates was to the Athenian culture. 
Athens was a democracy, and Socrates argued against it. And Athens had, during that time, worshipped the Greek pantheon, and Socrates was extremely critical about the behavior of Zeus and so forth, for obvious reasons. If you know the story of Zeus and so forth, you'll know that Zeus commits a lot of philander, um, uh, is a philanderer, and this is something that upsets his wife Hera. And the Greeks, like the Romans, largely pra practiced monogamy. So this was all done, uh, not transparently, but rather under the covers, excuse the pun. And so you have that situation uh, with Socrates. And what Confucius is doing here um, is that he is not necessarily as contrarian as Socrates is to his own culture, but Confucius is remarking that the crux of wisdom, or at least the seed of wisdom, starts with knowing what you do know and recognizing when you do not know something. And the reason is fairly simple. Whenever we get to Zilu, this student, this disciple of Confucius, Zilu is somebody who is all about bravery and courage. And he, if he believes something is morally right, he will die for that. That's the kind of person Zilu is. And to be honest, we need more people like that today. The modern world has largely suffocated courage. It's suffocated through many ways, and I could spend an hour explaining all of this, but off the top of my head, some of these reasons include anything from biological, for example, uh, you need testosterone. Um, testosterone is related to courage. And so um, if you have an environment that mimics estrogen, the female sex hormone, then you might have behaviors that are less masculine. And again, those that is what's correlated with testosterone, the sort of aggressive or courageous behavior. So if, even from a biological, environmental level, we have less of pe fewer people like Zulu. But I think there's another reason that comes to my mind, which is that society does make morality very complex and puts us in situations where the answer is not very clear. If you go back to earlier, more, say, primitive stages of humanity, what is courage, what is the right thing to do, manifests itself more clearly. So it's the right thing to do, for example, to hunt animals and to take their flesh, cook it to feed your family. Nowadays, we have people debating about questions of vegetarianism, uh, veganism. Those are arguably viable options today. We know a lot about amino acids and which ones we need, uh, which ones our body can produce, and which ones need to come 
externally. So it is actually possible, technically speaking, to create a modern diet in which we never need to even eat an egg. Back then, that kind of knowledge wasn't very common. So if you were a vegan, your health was very much in danger, at least compared to now. So even something like that is more complicated. Your actions, because of the way that the world is globalized and everything is connected to each other, your purchasing actions for the day have a long-term and very distant effect somewhere else in the world or way into the future. So the world is much more complicated and it's then less easy to convince yourself to be courage, uh, to be courageous and that you're a good person. All you have to do is act and do the right thing. Now here's a trick. I'm saying that the appearance of what is good and righteous has seemed to become more complicated to today than back then. But in reality, I don't think this is so fully the case. And we see that with Julu, whenever Confucius talks to him, Julu has a simple-minded understanding of morality. And Confucius is always trying to get him to think about something more subtle, more nuanced, something beyond his more immediate realms of experience. So Jill is all about courage, all about doing the right thing at that moment, not hesitating. He's very much like so many superheroes. And Confucius has to rein him in. He has to get Zulu to think further, more deeply, more subtly about what the correct thing is to do. And so naturally, when it comes to a matter, an aspect of the Tao, such as ritual propriety, Li, then Confucius has a lot to say to Zulu. Now in this case, the instruction is more broad. It's recognize what you know and recognize what you do not know. Because if you think you know something but you really don't, then you're going to of course act on that misunderstanding. And then whatever actions you take based on that misunderstanding will not be the right things to do. And that's his major point here. So the beginnings of wisdom is to know what you do know and then know what you don't know so that when it comes to something you know you don't know, study it, ask about it, find a teacher who can help you. Most people, because we live in democracy, are encouraged to simply give an opinion, even though it's not very informed, even though they don't have much experience regarding that topic, even though they have no education, even though they don't have any informal education either. You're simply asked to opine because we're asked to do this every two to four years. People say you should vote. You should go out. You should get out the vote. You should make yourself heard. Nobody says, well, you shouldn't vote unless you really know the issues. Very few people say that. And we don't hear that on 
on television, certainly. Inform yourself before you vote. If you're not informed, you should not show up. We don't hear that kind of thing, at least not in public or on the uh, mainstream channels of news and media. So we are always encouraged to give our opinion, to make a statement, make ourselves heard. We're not asked to practice a sense of restraint. We're not told to be ashamed if we do not know what we're talking about, and yet we opine on it anyway. And this seeps, up, seeps into almost every aspect of life within a democracy. So it's not only something that happens every two to four years during election time. It also happens whenever neighbors talk to each other or coworkers talk to each other or your family gets together, say at Thanksgiving or a different kind of family oriented holiday like Christmas. And then you guys talk about these things and people don't really know what they're talking about and people call each other out on it. And they say, you don't know what you're talking about. And then there's uh, more conflict there. And it's not only in the realm of politics, it's also in the realm of business, in the realm of personal life. People are always opining. People who don't have good marriages tell other people how to run their marriages. People who don't have children tell other people how to raise their children. People who have raised their children rather badly and poorly tell other people how to raise their children, their own children. Um, it, it continues on and there's a rather discernible lack of shame when it comes to these sorts of things. And then following the story of the Shunzu, people uh, engage in this kind of behavior with, uh, by bragging about abilities that they, they do not have. And we're almost encouraged to do that uh, in the world of, of capitalism uh, where everybody is trying to make some money and they're becoming more increasingly desperate to do so. And so there's always this, this temptation to say, oh, I can do this. Oh, I'm an expert here and there. Because if you don't exaggerate your abilities, people don't give you a second glance, which is re really short-sighted. And it's, it's a very cultural problem that, that we have when human resources, and I hate that name because human resources, it, it sounds like slavery, doesn't it? Uh, the human being as a resource, uh, that, that doesn't sit very well with me. But the so-called human resources department, they're in control of rejecting these applications or not. They quickly look at, at these and if they're looking for somebody who is good at, at say, um, at, at say uh, using this um, programming language, then uh, and it says specifically Java, then if the resume doesn't say something like excellent at Java, then they just throw away the, the resume. They don't give a second chance. They won't give you a chance if you say, well, if you give an accurate assessment of yourself and say, I'm not really maybe the best at this, but I think I can go ahead and grow into this role. That's very short-sighted too, because all you'll end up having are people who grandstand and exaggerate their ability and people who are not humble, people who are not honest and people wonder why these companies don't do too well long term.
is because the, the, the company has a culture where they encourage the wrong things and hire the wrong people and reward the wrong kinds of behaviors and attitudes. And that's also a similar lesson if you're trying to govern, because what governing and businesses have in common is that they're both organizations that need to pursue their goals. So if your system of choosing your leaders rewards people who pretend they can do something that they really cannot, and to speak confidently about matters that they are weak in, and you look down on people who are humble, you look down on people who hesitate, you look down on people who are not very articulate and quick with tongue, if these are the people you reward and you ignore respectively, then you're going to have bad leaders. And then you wonder why your country with all its great resources, whatever they might be, great land, uh, a lot of things that you could dig out of the ground, smart people, good culture, whatever those resources may be, those will go to waste. And your society will be a painful one to suffer through if you live in it. That's going to happen if you have a system that constantly rewards people who are clever in speech, but don't know what they are really talking about. And so this 2.17 here, of course, relates back to 1.3, where Confucius says, it's rare to find glib speech and insinuating appearance. It's rare to find those two characteristics with people who are ren, who are noble in their humanity. Looking ahead, there's also 5.5, where Confucius says, what's the use, what's the point of being eloquent? People who are witty with their words often earn the enmity of others. And he essentially says that the ability to be eloquent has very little to be ren, has little to do with being ren. So the world of politics are full of these people who are able to convince the ignorant that they know what they're talking about, have very simple but flawed ideas that the people, the common people, they exult in. But since they don't know, they don't have true wisdom and they, have, they lack deep understanding, when they do become leaders, the society suffers. And that's very predictable. Now, in the world of your own personal experience, outside the world of politics, you have to look out for these sorts of people in two major areas. One is, again, in the world of business. A lot of promises are made, and the people who are making them don't know for sure they can live up to it. So they, uh, that, that's worrisome there. Another area regards yourself and in your learning, because it's easy to convince yourself you're smart, 
you're smarter than other people you know and uh, you don't need to learn you don't need to study and studying and learning takes time and it takes humility it's much easier for the moment to tell yourself you know what it has to take uh, you, you have what it takes to become successful you already know what to do you have your experience uh, you don't need to listen to anybody else it's very easy to say that it's very comfortable to say that but it's not true so in your own life you need to recognize where you were when you actually master somebody of knowledge and when you don't when you need help when you need to increase your ability one last uh, thing to say is that since you're le listening to this lecture probably listening to it through some sort of podcast platform and a lot of people on YouTube and a lot of people um, on these podcasts they give sort of this free knowledge and what you find out is that these people don't really know uh, as much as they pretend to so these people um, I've seen this in all sorts of ways I've seen high school kids they give the wrong SAT strategy advice it's flawed completely flawed and it will only get your you the correct answer by accident but they put up a YouTube and they get millions of views but they're incorrect and uh, people follow them because they sound confident they say oh I got this high score on the SAT I got a 1600 and then people think that they know what they're talking about and they they don't um, a lot of people have their own podcasts they're talking about politics or what's going on or they give some sort of financial advice uh, they might talk philosophy but what you what you find out is that all they've they're basing what they're saying on on very little maybe they they've read one book on the subject and they think they're an expert or they've just one on the Wikipedia page for that and they're just they're simply regurgitating it uh, and all of that creates more confusion because about half of what they say in a sense is true but the other half is flat out not true and even the things that are in a sense true they don't really understand what they're talking about so if you say something if you for example you go to the Wikipedia article and then you see the phrase that the say the the Joseon dynasty the Joseon dynasty placed harsh restrictions on women's behavior well that's technically true but every country places harsh restrictions on people's behaviors even these countries that people are so-called free in there's still very harsh restrictions on people's behavior for example you can't simply get into a car and start driving around if you don't have a driver's license and sometimes this is this comes in the form of common sense you can't break into somebody's house and take something that's a restriction on people's behavior so what does it mean exactly if the Joseon dynasty has harsh restrictions on women's behavior so they might repeat this but they don't understand what that actually is 
they don't understand what that actually is and therefore when they convey this quote-unquote understanding the listener obtains the incorrect idea so that's a problem when you have this when I give my lectures I'm slow to speak and sometimes there are long pauses sometimes there are these ums and so forth and I know that doesn't sound too well but I do this because I want to be accurate and as precise as possible with my words. I always want to avoid misleading people who learn from me. I want to remain a person whom, if he says something, those words can be trusted and relied upon. So I know I don't sound as eloquent or as clever or as humorous as other people, but I'm doing this out of a source of sincerity and earnestness. I am trying to be genuine and authentic in what I say. It's easy to make a joke and this is people who are glib with speech and very good at this can make jokes very quickly and believe it or not I can I can do the same I can do this in uh, personal settings just make a quick joke but if I'm talking about philosophy if I'm talking about morality if I'm talking about human virtue I'm gonna put that outside because if I make a joke people are going to take it seriously maybe not deliberately but unconsciously simply hearing that joke based off of a faulty premise, is still going to change people's minds. And in one sense, humor can be misused for that purpose. It can change people's minds. So if you are careless about making a joke in a context that is serious, you can have uh, a lot of problems. If you set yourself out to be humorous, so for example, you are a stand-up comedian and you're, you're out there advertising yourself as a stand-up comedian, that this is a, a performance, that you're here to laugh, you're not here to take something seriously, or say you're making an episode of South Park or The Simpsons. Um, nobody is there to take you seriously. They're there to relax, just laugh at it, and then move on. But this, it becomes a problem when you establish yourself as, a, try to establish yourself as a trustworthy source of news. And, uh, you know, there are these guys out there um, that have these, these shows and uh, they purport to mix in actual news that's factual and reliable with humor. And they blend this together and this is a problem because people will forget where they learn these facts. And they'll listen to this, this kind of show, and then they start to think that what they have heard on that is true. When in fact it is not true, or at least it's not accurate. It's a half-truth. It's like saying the Joseon dynasty 
had a lot of restrictions on women's behavior. It's a half-truth. And people's imaginations start to run as to what that could be. They don't think, could this be reasonable? Could there be another side to it? It's not reasoned discussion. It's not fair debate. There's no objectivity. And at the end of the day, they're going to simply say, well, I'm a comedy show when they're called out on this. But at the same time, they know that people are showing up and watching it in order to learn something. So you want to be very careful about this sort of thing. These podcasts, there's so many people out there, whether they make money off of it or not, uh, whether they have degrees or not, they're out there and they're speaking about all these matters. And what you find out is they, they eventually say incorrect things. And they eventually say incorrect things in a very passionate way. But in reality, they don't know what they're talking about. Now, those who do know, they find out that this person is wrong. And then they realize this person doesn't have much credibility. Uh, but what's more likely to happen is that the listener is ignorant about all these issues. And then they hear, hear this person on the podcast speak about it. And then they think, oh, this guy is smart. And so let's say they say something incorrect. They say, oh, the Joseon dynasty was a disaster. And then they rattle off a few facts that went, a few things that went wrong in the Joseon dynasty. Well, a lot of listeners will hear them and think, oh, then there's nothing good to the Joseon dynasty. And they won't do their own research. And they'll miss out on all the good things about that dynasty. And that could, of course, apply to Confucianism in general as well. A lot of people have an axe to grind against what is called Confucianism. And the reasons are, are myriad. Maybe they're feminists, and so they're taught that anything that is of the ancient world is wrong. Uh, maybe they have a lot of pride in what they call Western civilization, uh, which is a term that itself is a little, it's pretty vague. Actually, we don't know. Uh, if you if you listen to these people who talk about Western civilization, they'll range from anything to uh, in, including the what's called the European Enlightenment. Uh, to Christianity and the European Enlightenment, many of the ideas are very much against the uh, the dominant ideas of the uh, medieval European ages. So. Christianity and monarchy on one hand, that's predominant in the Middle Ages, is criticized by the bulk of European Enlightenment philosophy. So if you hear somebody talk about Western civilization, you should ask them, what exactly does that mean to you? Are we talking about Christianity? Are we talking about European feudalism? Are we talking about uh, the European Enlightenment? Are we talking about Rome, um, the same Rome that persecuted Christians, the same Rome that had a lot of marriage problems, the same Rome that did not believe in the Christian uh, framework of monogamous marriage? What are we talking about here? So people who use that term 
uh, Western civilization, you should always think and ask them, what does that mean? But usually what that comes from is a source of pride. Uh, usually who you're talking to is somebody who is Caucasian, usually, um, and has simply a lot of pride in his ancestors. And that's normal, and that's natural, that's healthy. You want to have pride in your parents, and you want to have pride in your grandparents, and you want to have pride in where your family comes from, and you want to have pride in the ways of your ancestors. That's, that's simply normal. That's normal. That's healthy. But like with anything, it needs to um, occur within reasonable limits. You don't want to excuse every little thing that your ancestors were involved with, and you don't want to pretend it never happened. It's good to own up. Uh, and it's good to recognize flaws. That's all fine. Some people go the complete other way where it's not really healthy, where they, uh, their ancestors are only capable of doing wrong. And that's very strange. Uh, that's also a sign of being colonized. Uh, that's one of the tactics, the strategies for colonizing other people. So if you take over this other people, the first thing that this empire, expansionist empire tries to do is to tell, uh, to brainwash them into thinking that their their ancestors were incompetent, barbaric, so forth, and that's a way to for the expansionist empire to uh, to instill their own way of life into that population. So, for example, Japan, when they colonize the Joseon dynasty what they do is they start to make try to make the people ashamed of their indigenous culture and their history and that's all a way to break the spirit of the of the korean people and to further colonize them to further control them to further make them follow the ways of the japanese as second-class citizens now this happens still today if you find a country, uh, you know, where these most people are ashamed of their ancestors, that's because some people in power are trying to expand their power in that area, wherever they exactly they come from. So you should always think about that. But going back to Confucianism, root philosophy, some people are instinctively against it because it's simply not the way of their ancestors. And this is a case in which people take it too far. If somebody has made a technology that makes your life a lot better, who cares where it came from? You should simply adapt it. You should simply take advantage of it. When somebody invents a refrigerator, it shouldn't really matter where it came from who invented it, if it's useful to you, go ahead and use it. If it's not useful to you, if it's destructive to your way of life, then don't use it. It's simple as that. So the question should be, does it benefit your life or not? Not whether or not it comes from a different place. So with root philosophy, a lot of people will reject it for many reasons, but they won't really truly understand root philosophy. They'll go to Wikipedia or they'll go to maybe the Stanford uh, 
encyclopedia philosophy. Uh, and then they'll read these articles pretty briefly and then use that to dismiss it out of hand, to say, oh, I don't need to look more into it. And that's not correct. That's not a good way of going about it. So this, uh, this advice that Confucius is providing to Lu is something that is very important for anybody today. It's easy to believe you know what you're talking about. It's easy to believe that you know something when you actually do not. You're not encouraged to be clear-minded and humility is not something that is praised in today's society. We're expected to know a lot of things, we're expected to be good at a lot of things, and we're told, we're made to feel ashamed if we do not know these things or if we are not able to do so many things. So people will even blame democracy's faults on people who simply say, I don't know enough to vote. The reality actually is that most people, it's not possible for them to know enough to make informed political decisions because what's going on in the world at every level is too much. You have to worry about your city, your, your state or province, your country, and then after that international politics, you have to understand that from the perspectives of law, economics, economic policy, culture, and of course morality. You have to get to know the different particularities, including the structure of government, constitution, at, at all levels, the particular candidates, their records, uh, different research that's being done, what laws already exist, which is literally its own career. And any attorney will t who's being honest will tell you they're not experts in all law. They're only experts in certain areas, certain pockets of law, such as maybe bankruptcy, landlord-tenant, torts, constitutional, uh, environmental, etc., etc. These are themselves feels to be expert in, and that's only the existing law. How, would, how is it possible that you're asking the average common citizen who has his own bills to pay, who has to manage his own family relationships, who barely has time to spend any time um, with old friends, who is raising children, who has to find a way to make their careers work, you're going to ask these people to be in fully informed, to make a good decision? I'm telling you, it's completely impossible. It's an unworkable system. It truly is. You cannot escape having a system, if you really want good leadership, you have to have a way to have wise, virtuous, and informed, intelligent people in specific roles where they're 
responsibility, the area of responsibility is clearly defined so they can focus on their job. Because even though you are smart, intelligent, educated, wise, virtuous, and all you want to do is help people, there's too many issues out there in the world for you to deal with. And so if you look at the Shunzu, Shunzu is very insistent on there being these different roles. Even if you are king, even if you are emperor, you don't do every little thing. You don't look at every single detail. You, your role is to have, is to work on your own personal virtue. Your role is to be a good judge of character. Your role is to devote yourself to the fundamentals of the Tao, Ren, Yi, morality and justice, Li, ritual propriety, be Jong in your relationships within your family. And then you choose the right, the correct, uh, the best man to be the prime minister. Then the prime minister's roles are going to be different. The prime minister is going to start to take more of the details. So he is going to formulate policy that's correct for the time. He is going to look out for the major laws to make sure they conform with good policy based on the Tao and, and, and so forth. And so that's, that's what uh, many of the first chapters of the Shunzu go into, these different roles. But the point is that they are all defined so that you don't have all these people having to look at everything and having to know everything out there. Because even though that's your professional job, that's your professional role, there's not enough time to do that. So it's ludicrous to me that you're asking the common citizen to be responsible for all of these things. It did used to work better if you still, if you insist that democracy must happen, it did used to work a little bit better when these um, people would only elect one representative and then those representatives together would elect, say, somebody who goes, shows up to uh, the, the larger scale. In other words, for example, the federal, okay? Um, so it didn't used to be the case that uh, in, a, in America, uh, in the United States, that people would directly elect the senators that was done through the state government. And so that alleviated the political workload on the common citizen. But if you get rid of that, then um, what happens is that people have to go off their ignorance and ignorance is something that's easily shaped by advertising. And so whoever advertises better and whoever advertises more is able to squeak out these victories over their opponents. And now that's how the people with the money, the wealthy, that's how they can control politics effectively. So the more democracy you have, the more what's called plutocracy you have. That's de, uh, that's de facto control by the wealthy. Oligarchy is where the wealthy you have to be wealthy officially by law in order to uh, in order to use political power. But plutocracy is unofficially that's what happens, even though officially uh, it's not supposed to work that way. That's plutocracy. So 
in your personal lives, do understand that what, um, there are things that you do know that you have mastered and areas that you don't know very much. And as a corollary to this idea, it's wise to know how much you do know. So I don't hold myself out to be a Shangran. I don't hold myself out to be a sage, but I do know enough that I can teach brew philosophy. I can teach that to people uh, out there. Furthermore, from what I have seen, those people who pur uh, purport to be experts in root philosophy, who even have positions as professors, when I look at what they say and when I look at how they apply these ideas of Confucius, Mencius, and Shunzu, when I see this, I know that there are profound weaknesses in what they say, and therefore the, that reflects the profound weaknesses in their own understanding of root philosophy. So in this case, these people do not know what they do not know. So in summary, the wisdom comes from knowing what you do know and if you know that you don't know something, you can seek help and that's where you can grow. Because if you delude yourself that you know something when you really don't, you'll never get better.